Um, so what's the key issues on the ballot for uh, Proposal 3, obviously, vote yes. Uh, huge fan of abortion rights. I don't like the direction we're in right now. I liked it when Donald Trump was president. Tudor Dixon scares me a lot, especially her stance on Prop 3. Michigan voters made their voices known November 8th at the ballot box. And as the results rolled in and it turned to morning, it became clear a historic power shift was underway. Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer secured four more years in office, while Democrats also seized control of both the state House and Senate, power the party hasn't seen in nearly 40 years. We are feeling damn good about where we are going. Now Michigan Democrats have a true opportunity to push their agenda. But is it so simple? And what does it mean for both parties with eyes on 2024? Every single vote will matter on any individual issue. When a party comes in and goes too far, too fast, there's typically a backlash. They'll argue that this is a historic message from voters to carry out the policies. On this episode, we talk with Free Press political reporter Dave Boucher and hear from political pundits and voters about the future of Michigan's politics and policy. We delve into the legislation that could move quick and how Republicans can still put up a fight. I'm Kerry Jr. II. And this is On The Line. Well, first off, Dave, thank you so much. You've had a crazy day, two days, week, month, honestly, trying to cover these midterms. So thanks for taking the time to squeeze us in. So my first thing is, you know, about that time that you've been spending, give us a brief uh, recollection when you were watching the votes come in, seeing that it was going to happen? Sure. So going into election night, I think everyone was wanted to know what would happen in some of the statewide races and how the statewide races would impact races down the ballot in the legislature and elsewhere. Relatively quickly, it became clear that Democrats stood a really good shot in the Senate. I think everybody was a little bit surprised uh, at the way that the map shook out so that Democrats actually had a really good shot at the House. It's super hard to track some of these these smaller races. But, you know, two, three, four in the morning, we were starting to see that Democrats had a real shot at taking the House. Um, and then for me, uh, by about 8.30, 9 o'clock, Senate and House Republican leaders acknowledged that they were going to lose control of the legislature. Republican Jason Wentworth, who's still the state House Speaker until the new legislature is seated, issued a statement at the time congratulating Democrats. But he added, quote, this election was always going to be an uphill climb with a challenging political environment statewide, a redistricting commission that publicly admitted it helped Democrats gain seats and special interests from all over the country targeting the Michigan House for Democrat control, unquote. Current House Minority Leader Democrat Donna Lazinski had a different take when she caught up with Dave on the phone a bit later that morning. We were able to communicate our intention to protect women's bodily autonomy and make sure decisions were made with their doctor and not with a politician, to invest in strong public school systems. Excuse the typing. As you can tell, Dave has been on some tight deadlines. When we look at conspiracy theorists, the voters in Michigan were fed up with that. They're looking for good quality candidates who are going to do real work that's important in their local community, and that's how we won. I'm just so excited. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, really? That's about it. I didn't get enough coffee in me, and I haven't slept yet. But if you think okay. of something else, feel free to give me another call, okay? Yeah, I, I totally appreciate you calling me. Thanks so much, and congrats yeah. again. Wow. And you were up for all of that. I went to bed at uh, 6 o'clock and got up at 9.15. Oh, my Lord. That's that's a long night. That is a late night, sir. Okay, yeah, you deserve some rest. How big of a surprise was it that we've seen now the Michigan Democrats not only retain top leadership positions, but take over both chambers in the legislature? So, in theory, Democrats thought they had a really good shot at taking the state Senate. Uh, one, because they really uh, like their candidates. Two, because of Legislative redistricting just created uh, these political maps that broadly created more uh, competitive districts. And Republicans have built in such this, this there's such this like foundational power that they've established through their th- control of the legislature, especially the Senate, which they've controlled for essentially 40 years, that can really help them maintain that power. And so it would take a really big shift up and down the ballot to kind of knock that off course. We saw Gretchen Whitmer. And Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson win by double digits. We saw the abortion amendment fare really well for the supporters. And Dana Nessel win by nine points. That's the most that anybody thought that she would win that race. So you're seeing such this huge Democratic push. It makes more sense that when you look down ballot, that some of these smaller races also tended to shift toward the Democrats. So this is really an amazing story about how the... um, The proposal we all passed in 2018 to create the nonpartisan redistricting commission worked exactly the way it was supposed to. That's Abby Clark, a Democratic political consultant who worked on campaigns for former President Barack Obama and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. If the Republicans win a majority of statewide votes, they should win majorities in the legislature. That's what that's fair representation. So I think it was just a tremendous victory for democracy. We caught up with Abby and other politicos like John Truscott while trying to assess this blue wave, if you will. The districts were different. There was redistricting. So a lot of incumbents were running in communities that they weren't well known or or didn't know. John is co-founder and CEO of Truscott Rossman PR firm. And he worked as press secretary under former Republican governor John Engler. And frankly, I think the the Democrats put forth probably uh, as a whole, they put forth better candidates uh, around the state. And that adds up. And and that's historic, right? Like when we let, when was the last time we had Democratic control of both chambers? Yeah. So the last time that we've had Democrats control both legislative chambers and control the governor's mansion was in 1983. And they did it for approximately one year. Uh, there's, there's a lot of history here, but... Uh, the Democrat at the time, the governor, James Blanchard, pushed for a state income tax increase. It did not go over well and led to a couple lawmakers who were Democrats in the state Senate um, being recalled, essentially. And so they ceded power to Republicans the next year, and Republicans have held on to it for almost 40 years. Wow. Yeah, that, I was going to say, you know, when this happened overnight, this is the first time in my lifetime I've ever seen the, the entire uh, government fully uh, Democratic. I hadn't seen that ever. I never anticipated something like that. Well, and part of the reason that that it's not that you weren't the only one that lots of people did not anticipate this is that historically during midterm elections, the party that's out of power uh, that's out of power from the White House tends to do better. Inflation is up, prices are up, and so there was, in theory, there were markers to indicate that Republicans would do well, and yet we're seeing in Michigan, but also lots of other states, Democrats either doing really, really well or staving off these uh, anticipated Republican gains. And so there was this idea that 
you know, Trumpism and and other Republican ideologies would make this big comeback uh, during the midterms, and that just didn't materialize. And in fact, in Michigan, you could argue that it was repudiated pretty resoundingly. And so, how did this all happen? I mean, I I would assume that Proposal Three being on the ballot was a big motivator for folks to come out, following you know Roe v. Roe v. Wade being overturned over this summer. Uh, that that's what I would look at first. But is that the most accurate assessment? Sure. I think you're exactly right. I think it's completely fair to say that Republicans underestimated or tried to downplay the impact of access to abortion on this election. And yet we saw that obviously Governor Gretchen Whitmore made that a centerpiece of her campaign. And so both the governor doing that and the fact that to your point, Proposal 3 was on the on the ballot, which enshrines abortion rights in the state constitution, obviously drove people to the polls. The Roe decision happening over the summer changed the landscape. Obviously, the abortion issue being on the ballot was one that drove especially uh, turnout in younger people. However, Democrats noted that if the constitutional amendment failed, it would fall on the state legislature to potentially either repeal the 1931 law criminalizing most abortions, or in some other way, regulate abortion in the state. And so that was used effectively in many of these smaller races. And, you know, we had this conversation a few weeks back and you you ironed out all of the type, type of scenarios that could to, to, could happen this time and all the factors that lead up to it. So I just said it to say, listeners, if you're listening to this and want to get a real breakdown of like how this really got set up, an in-depth breakdown, listen to the episode, listen to Dave, speaks to it fantastically. Um, but I want to move kind of towards the future now. Um, now that we have these results, now that we know what the makeup of our legislature and our, and our uh, top leadership is, what does this mean for that much power to be concentrated for Democrats? Yeah, I mean, this means that Issues and ideas that have been percolating in the Democratic caucuses of the House and Senate, but have just been ignored or purposefully shelved by Republicans, could see the light of day. There are so many things to do. It's been so long since Democrats had this power. Well, I I tell you, Republicans are um, they're going to be out in the wasteland for a while. I don't think anybody serving now who's going to be coming back has served in the minority before. So they are they're they're in for a rude awakening on how how depressing it can be. We're already hearing a lot of discussion about the idea that Michigan Democrats could immediately move to try and repeal the state's right to work law. That's a law that says if you work somewhere and that place is a union, you don't have to automatically join that union and pay those union dues. I've seen Democrats talk about perhaps passing new gun laws or getting rid of a controversial law that requires third graders to read at a certain level uh, based on a standardized assessment. And Democrats in the House specifically are almost assuredly going to launch launch some some kind of internal investigation into the actions of former House Speaker Lee Chatfield, who is the subject of an ongoing criminal investigation. He's been accused of potential sexual assault and of financial mismanagement. He's denied those allegations, but they're they're tied to potentially his leadership in the House, and Democrats have been calling for an investigation for almost a year now. So there's any number of issues that we're going to see Democrats take on. The question is how effectively they're able to do that. Uh, being in leadership, being on offense is so much different, and that can be hard at times, especially when the margins here are really, really slim. Democrats are are set to have 20 of the 38 seats in the Senate and 56 of the 110 seats in the House. So every single vote will matter on any individual issue. 
After the break, what those slim margins mean for both parties, why ex-governor candidate Tudor Dixon took shots at the GOP post-election, what voters have to say, and 2024. And we're back talking with Free Press politics reporter Dave Boucher about the slim margins that allowed Democrats to take historic control of the state legislature. Okay, we we hear the idea of Democrats won both chambers. And some folks might think that it's a done deal then because Whitmer's in the office. But those margins, it may not be as easy as we think it is to achieve those goals, the promises that Democrats have made, right? There's still some bipartisanship that's, that's needed. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, this last legislative session, frequently a Democrat here or there voted against their party. Uh, Republicans did it too. So it'll be incumbent on whoever the leaders are in both the House and the Senate for the Democrats to uh, find ways to get all of their members on board or simply in the House with 110 people. If somebody is sick one day, then all of a sudden you're down to you, you might have a tie. I would anticipate that Democrats will try to or at least they will examine how they can bring Republicans on for some of these issues that are potentially less controversial or had Republican support in the past. I see. I see. I also wonder how that's going to impact uh, the Democrats who are in power's ability to legislate you know, freely because there's, there's another election in two years. And if you do too much, that yeah, could come back and, and bite them not too far in the future. Sure, it, it, it certainly could. But uh, I think Democrats are just chomping at the bit. And they'll, they'll argue that they have a mandate and that this is an historic message from voters to carry out the policies that they've been championing for years. There's a laundry list, so it's going to be a tough negotiation and prioritization process. Democratic political pundit Abby Clark again. And I think there's also a balance between some issues that are so, so important to the base and things that are b- more broadly popular and could even get bipartisan support, right? Mm. Um, Everybody's worried about inflation. Everybody um, cares about investment in education. There are some things that are really unifying. And then there are things that like for, you know, the democratic base, there are things like right to work is already being talked about. Um, The uh, Elliot Larson, some of those things that um, the Republicans have stood in the way of that there is going to be a push to move on those two. We've seen at the national level and the state level, when a party comes in and goes too far too fast, there's typically a backlash. That's John Truscott, the political pundit who worked under Republican Governor John Engler. So I would just, you know, advise cautious uh, approach to these things, a little bit of moderation. The Democrats will be much more successful long term if they take this a little bit slower, communicate with the public, explain what they're trying to do and and do it carefully. And do Republicans stand any chance uh, in circumstances like this to move their agendas forward? Uh, Certainly less so, right? So Democrats saw some issues that they loved either just completely die or get co-opted by Republicans. And it's not going to be a huge shock if a Democrat majority just starts doing the exact same thing to the Republican minority. I think there are a few bipartisan issues that uh, they can work on together. We're really, really slim on on affordable housing stock across the state, which makes it hard to uh, recruit companies, recruit employees. I think there are other issues there uh, within the the correction space or incarceration space um, that I think there's a willingness to work together. 
is there any thought of what this means for the Republican Party overall? Like, could we see changes within the party or redirection based off of what we've seen? If I were a member of either the Republican Party leadership or a legislator who is a Republican, I would be looking at these results and thinking long and hard about how the party's direction can and should change in Michigan and nationally. We saw that Trump supporters uh, earned the nominations and those candidates were demolished up and down the ballot in Michigan and in other states as well. It's not going to surprise anybody if there's some sort of reckoning at the top of the party in the very near future. I just think the Republican Party has to do a lot of soul searching. Um, Mm -hmm. When you take a beating like this, it's time to reevaluate. I think it's time to get new leadership and a new direction. It was still a replay of election deniers and and things like that. That kind of focus isn't where the public is. They want to move on. Truscott isn't the only one calling for a changing demand. After a post-election memo from the state's GOP chief of staff surfaced, Tudor Dixon, who just lost the race for governor, came out swinging. In the memo, Chief of Staff Paul Cordes said many donors failed to contribute as a message to former President Donald Trump. Cordes said that there were more ads on transgender sports issues than inflation and that voters didn't like what the Trump-backed Dixon was selling. Dixon on Twitter said Cordes, Chair Ron Weiser, and Co-Chair Mashawn Maddock refused to take ownership of their failings. She called them incompetent and called for fresh leadership. I think I would probably be more... Republican, if, it, if they weren't so much under the sway of, a, like, the past president who was just too, um, too extreme. And on Wednesday, our producers Darcy Moran and Robin Chan caught up with voters to talk about those results. And both Democrats and Republicans share thoughts on the Republican Party direction. I don't know if you have to change much other than maybe the messaging and how to make it, uh, make your issues positive to the other side. Some were just happy with the outcome. I think hopefully this will help to calm this country down and the non-believers that are causing so much difficulty um, will be quieted. And some were looking ahead. Let's uh, calm down the heat on both sides. You know, we can talk and uh, discuss issues without getting violent or or Overheated doesn't make any sense. You're not going to sway anybody's opinion by doing something like that. I would hope that uh, that uh, we we make it through the next two years, whether it be people, families, businesses, um, whatever, and that we can uh, maybe uh, maybe see a little different change uh, after two years uh, in 2024. What about 2024? Is there any thought about whether or not Republicans can take over? I imagine what you just said might be a factor into how effective that'll be, um, like a flip in that case, or whether or not the Democrats will be able to hold in two years. Yeah, it's so hard to say at this point. It, it's, it's generally, broadly speaking, the built-in advantage of incumbency would obviously help the Democrats. However, to your point, if they pass some legislation and that legislation is wildly unpopular, then that, of course, could have an impact. There also could be some unforeseen national impact that we see. Uh, however, if former President Donald Trump again receives the, the Republican Party's nomination to be their presidential candidate, then the fact that he's on the ballot could have a massive impact on the 2024 election, just like the fact that Joe Biden being on the ballot. Joe Biden is, is not very popular in Michigan, could also have an impact on Democrats. 
Any further thoughts, Dave, on this looking forward? I think it will be interesting again to see how Democrats actually use the power that they have, right? There's an old saying that the dog that chases the car doesn't quite know what to do with it once it's caught it. And it will be interesting to see if Democrats are able to actually use the legislative apparatuses that are in place to create policy that matches the promises that they've been giving to voters for years. I mean, that's got to be the that's got to be the big factor for the next election, right? Whether or not they can deliver on the promises they've made, considering they have so much power. Can you expand on the challenges the Democrats might have in doing that and achieving those promises? Yeah, I I think uh, any number of the issues, there's the real possibility that Democrats are able to execute on some of these policy provisions and they just don't work in a way that they would want them to. You know, so, uh, for example, Democrats have been advocating for expanding the earned income tax credit and for getting rid of a specific retirement tax. It's pitched as this idea to help people get more money in their pocketbooks. But if nationally the economic climate doesn't improve, even after Democrats take these policy positions, there's a pretty obvious argument that Republicans could make that you know, they, the, the Democratic ideas aren't working. Again, I alluded to that the last time the Democrats had control of both the, the legislature and the governor's mansion, they, they pushed for a tax increase and it cost them control of the state Senate and they never were able to regain it until now. And so, you know, there, there are pitfalls, especially when their margins are so small, where if they take on huge controversial legislation right out of the gate, even if they pass it, they could see some voter pushback either in 2024 or in some other way in the very near future. David, someone who's going to be watching this, what are you what are you most interested to see going forward here? And I am most interested in the Democrats pick to be their leaders in the House and Senate and how those individuals wield that power. That's a historic moment in and of itself. Grand Rapids Democrat Woody Brinks was elected to Senate Majority Leader on the Thursday following the election. She'll be the first woman to hold the state position. And in the other chamber, Detroit Democrat Joe Tate was selected as House Speaker. He'll be the first black Michigander to serve in that role. And then broadly, we've talked a lot about 2024 and and beyond. The fact that Gretchen Whitmer was able to handily defeat Tudor Dixon in a climate that Republicans thought was going to be effective for them is almost immediately going to garner talk about what she's going to do next. There's going to be all sorts of speculation about whether or not she might seek a higher office in 2024 or or sometime thereafter. And so I don't think we'll get clarity on that right away. But I think that if, especially if, you know, she has a little bit of of, uh, trouble either working with the Democratic legislature, which shouldn't happen, or if she's exceptionally effective in passing some of these sweeping ideas that she's been talking about, then that can kind of fuel that fire of her as a national political leader. Big thank you to Dave Boucher for his help on this episode. Additionally, we want to send a big shout out to Emily Lawler, editor for the Free Press Politics team. She, along with her team, have been such a major support for us throughout this entire election season. Several members and Free Press reporter Emma Stein also contributed audio clips you hear in this episode. Finally, a thanks to Michigan voters Dalen Mavrotis, Farid Ahmed, Mark Gomez, Carrie French, David Holm, Mark Allen Horvath, and Alyssa Teague. You heard them speaking to us at the polls and out and about across the state. This episode was produced by me, Darcy Moran, and Robin Chan. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and our editor is Peter Batia. The music for this show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. 
Thanks, as always, for listening. If you liked what you heard, want to hear more podcasts and stories from the Free Press, go ahead and follow us, subscribe to us, um, and follow the Free Press podcast in general. Go to free.com slash podcast. Check out all the podcasts we have available. Um, and then don't forget to come back. See you then.